Hey, welcome back to the Jake's Well podcast. This week we are continuing our series, Read Through Luke. We find ourselves at chapter four of the Gospel of Luke. And we just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. We have been having a blast making these podcasts and we want to hear from you. We want to get your feedback. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at EC. We would just love to hear any questions, any ideas, things that you would like to hear. Let's get the conversation going. But thank you so much for joining us today. All right, so we find ourselves, we are on chapter four, and so far we have gone through the Christmas story and then the baptism of Jesus, and now we find ourselves in the desert. Jesus is about to go through these 40 days of temptation. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you, you begin to see the bigger picture of what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to set uh, Jesus up as this um, in, incredible countercultural um, force that again, you know, the whole way we've been talking about it is that we as a culture really are flying upside down and Jesus is calling us on it and wanting us to fly right side up. You know, the whole thing of him being, uh, the rock of offense, the one who's going to come and he's going to shake things up. Um, and it, and it really, uh, uh, takes form in the passage we're looking at today. It, it of course starts with the baptism of Jesus. And we talked about this last week and the baptism of Jesus is so formative, is so important. Um, it's the transition from John the Baptist, the revival that started with John that we read about at the end of chapter two, the beginning of chapter three. And then here Jesus comes on the scene. And again, before Jesus does anything, before he does any miracles, before he teaches anything, before he's a single follower, the father says to him, you know, this is my son whom I love with him, I'm well pleased. And that becomes the center and what centers Jesus. And that's when he, I just believe when he ran back to all the times he was in a quiet place or went off a pray, pray alone or was praying all night, he was seeking to hear the voice of the father, just reminding him who he was and that he's loved and that um, the pleasure of God doesn't come because of our performance. And that, of course, then goes right into temptation. It's, it's always interesting to me how many people, even today, will get baptized and they think, you know, getting baptized, so my life's really going to come together. And very often they get baptized, right? Mm-hmm. And they um, they see, wow, life got tough because change is tough and uh, opposition comes. And so Jesus comes out of, out of baptism to temptation, to opposition, even among his family in his hometown. And then he starts having demonic oppression and people questioning him, and he's coming up against sickness and illness. But all of that is sustained through the voice of the Father. Um, just really cool. We looked yesterday at the temptation of Jesus, which again, when you read the temptation of Jesus first time, it's kind of a confusing little passage of Scripture. It just doesn't look like, well, why are these things tempting to mm-hmm. Jesus? But it really is the core temptation of all human beings, the, the temptation to get the idea that I have to provide for myself. And so I've got to make make bread out of stone, and I got to pray for myself and for others. And if I don't provide because there's not enough, I won't get what I need. And the temptation then to put things like, you know, provision and work and all those things as our God, as our instrument of worship, become overwhelming. And then the second temptation, you know, is that temptation to power and. Even people who really have an issue with control wouldn't think, well, I'm a, not a power person, but maybe you're a control person. All of us struggle to say, i got to take control of the situation. It comes up in parenting or relationships or, or at work, and this idea that I, I've got to protect myself by being in control. And if, if I don't have control of this situation, you know, um, then I'm going to get hurt. 
And because of that, you know, you're going to, you're going to, again, you know, lift up this idea that I've got to be in control rather than this radical trust that God, I don't need to be in control because you're in control. And even though some real stuff happens in this life, I believe ultimately you're going to protect me. And, um, that's a radical. And then of course the third temptation is the, uh, the, uh, temptation of performance. And you can actually feel the room this weekend as we were teaching kind of tense up when you came to that, because there's just so many people trapped in a performance trap, particularly at church. There's so many good people who are doing good things, who somewhere, somewhere along the line started doing good things, not out of a sense of love, but because they deeply long to be loved. And this world that kind of tells us you've got to perform and produce, you've got to make bricks without straw. What have you done for me lately? Um, um, makes love conditional. But when we come back again to the voice of God, where we can hear him say, I love you, then it becomes incredibly uh, transformational. We come back to our identity. I always tell people, if you ever wonder if God loves you, look at the cross. Because that wonderful verse in Romans where he says, while we were still sinners, before we did a thing, while we were still full of wrath, and rebellion. Not only not only was it that we hadn't done anything good yet, we did a bunch bad. Yeah. And still his love was demonstrated in this that Christ Jesus died for the unrighteous. And um it just it just it's just foundational. And when you see th- th- this is big for me, that Jesus needed this. Hmm. That Jesus needed this word of identity, this word of God's love, this word that you are you are you are created for my pleasure and I and I delight in you and how centering that was for him that Jesus was tempted to produce and perform Jesus was you know tempted to um you know power up and take control and that those temptations followed him throughout his ministry when you start seeing them in the stories that he's told and how the priests attack him and how the the political authorities deal with him even how his own disciples are trying to get him to do things you know his family uh, it really, um, really shows you the remarkable humanity of Jesus. Just very, very cool. Um, and, uh, important message, uh, uh, and powerful passage of scripture. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me too, not only when you get to the gospels, do you see this moment where, where God himself in the form of Jesus becomes really um, tangible and yeah. real and something that we can see and understand in a new way. It, it, much like the Bible tells us that when we look upon Jesus, through him, we see the right. father, we come to know the father, but at the same time, um, uh, Satan, his yes. role increases yep. dramatically yeah. when you hit the gospels. That's right. And it's, it's kind of this interesting, if you think about it, that you look at the old Testament, he you barely see, shows up. Yeah. Job. And then a couple other references, but right. Kind yeah. of stays hidden yeah. until the son of God is on the scene yep. and then he steps up. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like evil becomes incarnate even as Christ became incarnate. Yeah. And, um, and just trying to wrap our minds around that, this person of Satan, this this uh, this amalgamation of all the evil and all the 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 rebellion and the wrath and the anger and the ruthless hate, um, you know, I think it was surprising for many people. Even I processed the message with some folks after message, they didn't realize that temptation was ongoing for Jesus, right. that this was, you know, they thought 40 days, one and done. And then Satan said, well, I guess, you know, and the other surprising thing was that people get the idea that Satan was delighting to put Christ on the cross. Mm. Satan was terrified of the cross. He recognized 
that if Jesus did exactly what he does in the next section, he goes home and then he declares his statement of faith. And I'm not going to power up. I'm going to power down and I'm going to show the power of weakness. I'm going to show the power not of control, but of service. I'm going to, you know, not try to control people, but I'm going to preach good news to the poor. And that wonderful Hebrew word, which means marginalized, forgotten. Uh, we talked about all the, the applications of how we're all poor in some way. And that he's gonna, he's gonna, he's going to, he's going to um, create liberation. And immediately, and this is such a stunning thing, Jesus becomes disappointing to people. Mm-hmm. Just the simple fact, you say it out loud, it almost sounds heretical, right? Yeah. That Jesus was, was disappointing to people. That that his hometown, what a disappointment. Even his parents, you know, uh, you know his mom and his brother said one time they came and they they tried to quietly take him away because they thought he had <laughs> gone nuts. So that, thanks, Mom. Thanks, brothers of mine. And then yeah. the, the, there's this other story. This, I believe it's in, in John's Gospel where it says Jesus was going to go up to the feast and um, and uh, everyone knew that they were planning to kill him in Jerusalem. And his brothers came to him and said, oh, you're a public figure now. Why don't you go up to Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. So it's basically them saying, you're embarrassing the family. You are... You are the black sheep of this family, what an embarrassment. Why don't you just go where they're going to kill you? And, and when you start seeing that kind of opposition, you tend to think, oh, because the devil's going to oppose him, Satan's going to oppose him, but his family. And then, of course, his disciples, they, they fought with him. You know, they, they argued with him about his message. You need to go. These people are expecting you to show up. Why are you off praying? And, you know, other times, you know, these people are, are not saying the right things. Let's call down fire on them. Or, you know, arguing about who's the greatest. I mean, he was, I mean... The, the remarkable, and you think about the power he had and, and how he, he never ran to that. He ran to meekness. Um, just remarkable, just remarkable, and, and a vision for life. Yeah, and what you said about you know, people thinking he had these 40 days of temptation. Right. Well, it, the Scripture tells us that he was tempted in all things. Yes, in and, every way. And, and that's what's so beautiful for us is that he gets us, and right. when we talk about that, like it's not just the superficial idea that he has a concept about us. No, he, he literally felt pain as mm-hmm. we feel pain. Right. He felt the pressure of, of, of temptation and, and this, you know, uh, trying to lead towards sin. He knows what that experience is like. And, and um, so when we come to him in our own weakness, there's this level of compassion and yeah. understanding that is so deep and so real. Yeah, well, how, how powerful it is just to meditate on the fact that Scripture says, and he was thirsty. Yeah. Or he was hungry. And, and just you wonder for Jesus, the hungers he felt, obviously a physical hunger, but, but just the hunger, you know, there had to be a part of him that just wanted to solve every problem. I mean, I, I feel that. I watch the news or I see some point of injustice or I watch a documentary or I watch some, some show and just say, I just, I want to, if I could do something about that, I'd want to do something about that. And that hunger and that long, longing for him to come back and say, okay, man doesn't live by bread alone. There's something bigger going on here. The cross is why I'm here. And, it, and within the cross and the gospel is the message that's going to transform all of eternity. And I'm playing a longer game here. I'm doing things that are mysterious here. And even for Jesus, within his human limitations, he couldn't do it all. I mean, Jesus couldn't do it all. And if, and if Jesus can't do it all, if he didn't step into every need, if every need was not a calling for him, how much more do we need to take a step back and, and man, just get our thinking and perspective on that and, and realize, okay, um, what, what, are, what are the best needs and callings I'm called into Instead of chasing every good thing that I could do, 
you know. I, I think for Christian people, sometimes the big temptation that shipwrecks their life is not, I, I'm afraid I'm going to fall into bad things. It's that they try to do every good thing, mm-hmm. and they never discern from God what is the best thing. One of the big things that we mentioned yesterday, last week, and we're going to really hit this coming week, is the importance of an inner life, uh, importance of a model by Jesus, a slowing down, a learning to be with God, a learning to do whatever spiritual practices work for you, whether it be journaling or prayer or meditation. I do uh, keep hours of prayer and, and different different things like that, and just how centering that is to hear the voice of God. Uh, Jesus said it this way, again, the text we'll look at this next week. He says, from the good things stored up in a person, good things come. So he's saying, you, you know, from a storehouse, you're storing things. He says, from fr- so from the mouth, the heart speaks, that the inner life is important. It's important you're storing good things, because he goes on to say, because you're not going to get good fruit from a bad tree. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so this call to an inner life to hear, okay, God, what is your best for me? Not just what is your good, what is your best for me, um, requires us, you know, to hear from God. And to not just show up to get our marching orders, but to abide in that love relationship with God. Just a very, very cool thing. Hmm. Um, so l- let me just say, for the, the rest of this uh, week, you're going to be seeing Jesus apply his vision, right? You're going to see that he rejects the vision of Satan, which is produce, perform, power up. And then he, he declares his declaration of vision in, in the second part of chapter 4, that I'm going to come and I'm going to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm going to speak good news to the poor, the marginalized. And those ones who know that they are poor are the ones who are going to find the kingdom. And the very next thing that happens is you start seeing he has authority over demons. Um, and then you see he has authority over life and death and sickness in chapter 38 of chapter 4. And so that is, a, that is, a, that is asserting, that is showing the authority of Jesus and and the the uh, divinity of Jesus as well as the humanity of Jesus. You're going to see that he's preaching in the synagogues and that people are, are following him. In chapter 5, you're going to start seeing him start establishing this thing of calling the poor because he's going to call his first disciples very strange group. There's not a religious teacher in there. There really doesn't seem to be an educated. The only person that people speculate was educated perhaps was Judas, um, mm. just because of a couple includes it's speculation but uh these are these are rough raw marginalized uh poor people who he calls uh in the second part of chapter five he then immediately is going to shock his disciples by healing a leper a leper would have been just what you'd expect you know um, unclean dangerous um under the curse of god lepers were sent off into um you know um separate communities to live and leprosy was kind of a catch-all phrase for any kind of skin disease whether it was something contagious or not whether it was dangerous or not it was really a very unsettling thing for people you know uh, if you had any kind of skin disease you we talk about having blemishes now now it was a a a in the time of jesus it was a you know you're dangerous you're unclean you you know and when you have those things it ostracizes you from the center of the community, which is the synagogue and the temple. And and so the whole idea was, if you have this disease, you are unclean. So you yourself can't go and worship. You yourself can't present yourself before God. You're unacceptable. You're blemished. Okay? Just think of the shame with that. And if someone touches you, then they're unclean. Then they have to go through this ritual of washing. So if they're on the way to the temple, that's what, if, so that's what makes it so powerful. It happens a lot in Luke. Whenever you see Jesus touch someone... 
or they touched him or or someone, uh, a woman with a bleeding issue or an unclean uh, person with a skin disease, for Jesus to physically touch them made himself religiously unclean, um, but he didn't, he didn't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what you see is this, this um, incredible inclusion of the, of the other, of the poor, and then he heals uh, a paralytic, again, a person who is a picture of complete dependence. I mean, think about paralytics in our day and the steps we take to, to empower, include, and all our laws about handicap and parking and all that. This world was not like that. This is a person who could do nothing for himself. And the beautiful story of the friends who brought him, again, just an incredible story of making them the hero. These people who, it's its a great story. You know, Shu, we've talked about this. The hardest part about this message series is choosing what not to teach on. Yeah. Because there's so much richness in here. Um, he, he can, t- go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, since we're looking at the miracles, yeah. one thing that always stands out to me about the miracles of Jesus, um, if you compare them to other miracles in the Bible, yeah. like I think of, of Moses parting the Red Sea, I think yep. about Elijah calling down fire, and you see these these moments, these signs and wonders that would have just made people go, whoa, right. and, and there, there were these crazy physical demonstrations. But if you compare it to what Jesus did, his miracles are so personal. Yes. They're, about a, they're, they're literally about helping individuals yes. and they're intimate. And, yeah. and you, you think about the, the leprosy conversation and how uh, people couldn't even come near them or touch them, how you would have felt about yourself, how that would have internalized. And then all of a sudden this, this man, this king, and, and as they came to understand this Messiah would come and he would, in such compassion would, would touch yes. you. Well, and, and that's one of the things elderly people talk about. This is one of the things that is really hard where an elderly person is, is no one ever touches me. Yeah. You know, we, we live in a world because of all the, the, the fears we live in about being tactile because of the perversions in this world, we don't touch like they touch. And you, you ever think about, you always get the idea that Jesus kind of reached out with his fingertips and just kind of touched. I just wonder if Jesus didn't go all in, sure. just embraced, <laughs> you know? And how long had it been for this guy with leprosy since someone had touched him, someone yeah. had physically touched him? I mean, we just, we don't appreciate the rule breaking Jesus is doing here. It really is. And you're right. It's intimate. I, I we mentioned this last weekend too, that, you know, Jesus, because he was not in for performance, how often he would have this intimate, beautiful moment and then tell the people right. who were there, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody about this. Cause this is not what it's about. You know, um, it's not about the performance. Yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. So he continues halfway through chapter five with the, including the other, right? So in chapter five, he calls a tax collector, to be one of his his disciples. And um, wow, the rule breaking there, the offense that would have been, at first, the, the extended story in the other Gospels, at first, um, eating with them. You know, the wonderful story of Zacchaeus, we little man, we little man was hammered, he, right? <laughs> this, this marginalized small man who had found a way to be big and powerful in the world. Now Jesus welcomes him and he's welcomed to Jesus' home. He tells Jesus, him i'm going to come and eat in your house today and the whole room's full of tax collectors and it says you know uh, the pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples now they didn't they they didn't come right at jesus you know they're 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 slimy people in that respect they grumble at the disciples and the disciples come responding to the pressure that sounds to like jesus. today oh it does sound <laughs> actually it's a lot like today hey you know what people are saying i'm not i'm not saying it but these other people are saying it and and i kind of feel this way and i'm the only one who feels this way people are talking <laughs> when i want to say what people you know anyway now we're, we're, we're venting a little bit anyway um he goes on and then they start finding fault with him what you see in chapter 5 13 i think it's transference so they come at him arguing about fasting 
Again, this is Jesus who didn't eat for 40 days in the wilderness. And they're challenging about fasting. And then, you know, they have this big thing. We're going to find fault. Really, is we're threatened by you, we're afraid of you, we're angry at you. So we're going to find this piddly little thing to attack you on. And Jesus, of course, well-adjusted and mature, doesn't respond doesn't respond to it has this wonderful conversation about wine skins and and bringing new things in and and not getting caught in the old things of religion uh they have this incredible uh attack again they're attacking him uh constant attack again you just see how disappointed people are with jesus and how opposed they were though the establishment and everybody else was against in this conversation about the sabbath you know, and Jesus' big thing was Sabbath was meant to be a gift of rest from God. And you have made this horribly oppressive, rules-based, miserable thing. Mm-hmm. And so he's he, this is an example of new wineskins. He says the old way of doing Sabbath was just oppressive. He says, I want Sabbath to be life-giving. He says, I'm the Sabbath rest. Actually, Hebrews says that. And, and I want to bring you rest. And so learning to take time with me and coming away with me in the spirit of Sabbath, well, they're not going to get this. And then they have this huge conversation. And then one of my favorite stories in Luke is in chapter 6, verse 6. Um, on it's one of it's one of the only times in the Bible we see Jesus angry. It actually says he became angry because there was a man who had a withered hand, and because of that, you know, he would have been marginalized and unclean and couldn't provide for himself. And Jesus said, "Well, what should we do about this man?" And he said, "It says they were quiet; they didn't say anything." And said Jesus became angry. And then Jesus, if Jesus would have reached out and healed the man, touched the man, that this case is one of the cases he didn't touch the man, he would have been liable to breaking Sabbath laws. And they, they could have actually arrested him and turned against him. They're trying to trap him. So he says, open your hand. And the man opens his hand. So he outsmarts him, which makes him more angry. It's just a beautiful picture of, <laughs> you know, and this is church. They're in the synagogue. So this is when nastiness comes to church, when religion comes to church. Um, beautiful picture. Then in chapter 6, towards the end, he calls the 12 apostles. And again, that list of 12 apostles, he's got, he's got a tax collector on one extreme, total sellout, and a zealot, a person who was so zealous for Israel that he was prepared to take military action to kill people. And then he starts setting them two by two. And I always speculated he had to send those two together, right? <laughs> you know, we're going to do uh, Levi and uh, what's his, uh, the zealot, um, Simeon the zealot. You two are going to go together. I'm not going with him. And, well, this is the kingdom. And that so, poor house. That poor house. That's exactly right. <laughs> the kingdom is about justice. The kingdom is about love. You, know, you just see um, them trying to figure that out. And that, that leads us to the end of the section we're looking at uh, this week, which, again, you see the application of the other, right? You see the application of Jesus rejecting Satan's vision of power and performance and control and all that, and then him saying, this is my vision, and I'm going to include the poor. And the poor has a much more radical inclusion than you ever imagined, and here it is. Here's a tax collector. Here's a zealot. Here's women. We're going to see women included in the next section, and it becomes really powerful. The next section we're going to look at this weekend is more unlearning. One of the things we said about following Jesus is a big part of following Jesus is unlearning what the world has taught us and what we've learned as patterns and pathways we walk. Well, this next section is where we start getting introduced to Jesus' ethical teaching. So in Matthew's Gospels, he has something called the Sermon on the Mount, and all his ethical teaching is in one place. In Luke, it's different in a couple ways. One, it's all over the place in Luke, but you get this big chunk at the beginning where you start saying, okay, he's saying some really different things, and it will require some deep unlearning some deep unlearning to say this is Jesus' moral ethic. 
And the difference that Luke does is he will teach on several things, and then there'll be a handful of stories that will illustrate the teaching, how he applied it. So you see his ethic and his lifestyle and how they come together. So it's going to be a really cool thing. It will require some deep unlearning. If you're, if you're not challenged by, by Jesus's ethic, then you're not paying attention to either what he says or what's going on inside of you because I, I, I just can't read it. It's all about the inner life. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, no, that's good. And and as we're talking about the other, and we, we keep mentioning the tax collector situation, yes, I thought it'd yes. be just good to, to kind of talk about the cultural yeah. thing yeah, yeah. about this. What, what's so interesting about the tax collectors is they were really representatives of kind of this uh, uh, over-government. And in this point in history, we're talking about Rome. Yep. And Israel has this nasty history yep. with, with um, being uh, controlled yes. and by these foreign governments. Governments. Yes. And so here they're, they're kind of looking at their countrymen who they see as sellouts yep. who are now serving and working for the empire. But also we know that tax collectors had this reputation for, you know, whatever the amount that they were supposed to tax for. Yep. Well, let's just raise that number up a little bit. Yep. I can skim that off the top, put it in my pocket. Yep. So people just saw them. It was a very nasty yeah. position and they, they, they had a they had a reputation. Well, it was cutthroat, too, because they would bid. So different tax collectors would go and say, I think I can get this much. Hmm. And another tax, well, I can think I can get this much. And the, the winner, the Romans, say, okay, well, if you can get that much. We'll make you the tax collector. <laughs> yeah. And so the cutthroat nature of it, the the horrible oppression, the, you know, it's it's unregulated power and money's involved. So you can just imagine the evil that was done. And, and again, in, in an ancient world, you know, if we can't pay our debts, we declare bankruptcy, it's a bummer. If you can't pay your debts in, the, in this time, they come and they take your daughters and then they take your son and then they take you and you become a slave. Mm. And so um, this is nasty, vile stuff. And so for Jesus, again, to include as one of his main people, a tax collector, that would have been a deal breaker for a lot of people. That The zealots would have said, oh, forget that. The Essenes who were hyper uh, concerned with external you know, rules, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees were polar opposites. They hated each other, but they got together. So, well, we got to, we can't let this Jesus, he's going to, he's turning everything upside down. You know, uh, in fact, in John's gospel, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, um, the whole world's following him. We've, we've got to stop from him. It would be better for this one man to die than for the whole nation to go away. And they prophetically, hmm. you know, um, declared, you know, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. It's it's huge. It's just huge stuff. It's powerful. It is powerful. And it's so good to get back in the Gospels and, and marinate in this stuff. And I, I just praying for our people that, um, um, you know, that it's it's messing with them. It's changing them. It's it's challenging them, and also giving so much permission to to realize, you know, man, I got to have an inner life, and I got to figure out what parts of my life is um, upside down. I, I thought, I don't know if you're, uh, we even talked about this, but, um, you know, I did a prayer to end the message yesterday. I thought maybe we could end our time today with that prayer. That's awesome. Um, and just uh, just for everybody listening right now, again, just anybody who maybe you're struggling with trying to control something that's not for you to control, uh, you're trying to perform, to please some person, you're trying to provide something that, boy, it's just, it's it feel like you're making, trying to make bread out of stone. Um, just again, just to, just whatever that issue is, um, lift up. We're going to lift up that. We're going to lift up that person, that situation. We're going to lift up 
each other. Uh, lift up yourself. It's good to pray for yourself. Be kind to yourself this week. Be gracious to yourself this week. Um, quit beating yourself up. The best people I know in the world spend way too much time beating themselves up. Um, but let's just pray for all that in this wonderful prayer um, from William Barclay. Um, I'll just go ahead and pray. So let's pray together. This is a prayer in difficult times. We hold before God those for whom life is very difficult, those who have a difficult decision to make and who honestly do not know what is the right thing to do. We hold before God those who have a difficult task to do and to face and who fear they may fail in them, those who have difficult temptations to face and who know only too well that they may fall to them if they try to meet them alone. We, f- we hold before God those who know they can be their own worst enemies. We hold before God those who have difficult people to work with, those who suffer unjust treatment, unfair criticism, and unappreciated work. We hold before God those who are sad because someone they loved has died, and anyone who is disappointed in something for which they have hoped very much. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks so much for listening in with us. Again, we want to encourage you to reach out on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know your questions and your feedback. We are loving this new format. It's been so much fun for us to just talk together and to know that as a church, we're coming together. We're reading through the Gospel of Luke together, taking this journey one step at a time. And we're so glad that you chose to join us.